0: Welcome to Out of Nowhere, where we talk with marketers, makers, and value creators about where they've been and where they're going next. Let's dive in. Today, we're talking ed tech with Katie from Lean Lab, a nonprofit launching transformational innovations into K 12 schools.
1: So, I mean, my background uh, is in education. So, I was a teacher, I taught middle school math, and I taught in Kansas City public schools. So I was working in a fairly under-resourced school environment, um, and then moved to a charter school, a startup charter school. So, which had all of the challenges of any startup, but add you know 150 middle schoolers to it. <laughs> and, um, and I think you know my passion has always been professionally been working toward um, providing equitable education opportunities for all children. So that was always what, kind of my driving force. And when I got into the classroom, I realized how, how far away we were from realizing that vision here in the United States. So, you know, just lots of to be co- really concrete, like I grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City, but taught in the inner city and the disparity in classroom environments. And then the actualized student outcomes was really great. And, um, you know, like at, at my first school, I taught out of um, 93% of my kids were more than two years behind uh, in reading and more than three years behind in math. So, you know, just, you just saw these really vast disparities. So that was really the driving point. And what really kind of got me to leap into founding Lean Lab was after five years of being in the classroom and then going back to grad school for education administration, and then Being um, promoted to be an instructional coach and work in administration, I kind of started seeing from a more balcony perspective that if we kept doing education the same way we always were doing it, uh, why would we expect different results, kind of that old adage? So long story short, really felt compelled that we needed to start really thinking about radically innovating in this space Um, at this time. In Kansas City, this was 2013, so a lot of there was a lot of startup momentum. There were accelerators and incubators launching. The tech scene was really getting off the ground, and that kind of became an inspiration of, hey, why don't I see this kind of energy in the education sector? Could we benefit from this kind of creativity, excitement, um, you know, creative thinking around problem solving? And so that's really where we like. That's really where the genesis came from, and then it um, was a light bulb moment, and then. It all got really exciting and really, really hard (laughs) from that moment.
0: That's always the way it goes, right? Like you see a problem, (laughs) you see a problem and you're like, I I will dedicate myself to solving that problem. And then you hope, hopefully you've got an opportunity that you see, like, right. Like you saw, you saw an angle that you could probably address this. What, What was the original sort of like thesis or like, if we do this, maybe this will help solve for that.
1: Yeah, I mean looking back, it was so incredibly naive, but um I guess that's the way it always <laughs> begins. But we thought, I mean, we were essentially riffing off the accelerator model. And at that time, TechStars had just come to Kansas City. Um, TechStars, you know, is an international tech accelerator for startups, and they had this concept that hey, we'll bring in 10 of the best entrepreneurs around the globe to work in this vertical that we think we have um industry expertise and in the Midwest. And so at that time it was agriculture. We'll give them each a hundred thousand dollars. We'll give them 90 days of coaching and we hope they'll go on to be wildly successful. And uh, I thought, oh, let's, let's take that same concept and put it into education. What if we found? You know, five to 10 edu- creative um, educators or education innovators. And we didn't have a million dollars to deploy year one. So it was like, if you get no capital, but <laughs> a month of like intensive support and coaching. Um, and if you committed to it, finding a solution that could impact, I think it was like 500 students each year over five years. And we could do that year over year. Could we build the capacity to, um, create solutions, innovative solutions that would impact all 25,000 students in the Kansas City public school area. Um, and so that was their original thesis. Uh, and um, we've changed a lot since then, we learned a lot, <laughs> but yeah.
0: <clears throat> but you have to start naive, right? Because if you if you wait until you know it all, you won't, you won't start. And by the way, how would you ever know it all until you get your hands dirty and start figuring things out and bumping into walls, right?
1: sure sure absolutely but i mean i think it was a good place to start and at least we had kind of a model to at least uh wrap our minds around like there was something to hang our hat on and then we could kind of rip on that from there
0: yeah so in my understanding and tell me where i'm off on this but my understanding is that you started with the idea of you wanted to help spur the innovation and then as time went on you realized that oh innovation already exists but, man, they're having a really hard time integrating, improving its effectiveness within the existing school systems and structures. And, oh, actually, we we uh, are uniquely positioned to be able to help sort of usher or be a vehicle for this innovation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple a couple things that were going on. So when we launched, I was myself and a co-founder and. Um, uh, who had just finished her second year of teaching I was 26 she was 24 we cashed in our teacher retirement to do this and been like there were like no institutional investors right so like we already were coming from a very scrappy naive underdog perspective where every foundation in town and every foundation in the United States eventually was like <laughs> what like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> You know, like why would we invest in this idea so already we knew we were at a deficit in terms of just like bare resources like we were just really scrapping together whatever we could find and we did have some lucky early supporters but we were at a disadvantage in the sense that like you know we were modeling off of tech stars which rolled out of freaking like Brad Feld, who was a billionaire's arsenal. So we we just didn't have those resources, which we, so we realized pretty quickly, like, huh, we're going to need a scrappier business model like this. What we were patterning off of wasn't the, didn't match the reality that we were living in. And then two, um, the market dynamics of education were changing really quickly. So like we were really early movers in terms of, I think, ed tech and like education technology growing. We were one of the first education accelerators nationally um, and uh, which was exciting, but also it was kind of, there was, there, there was no model. There was no precedent um, for the work we were doing. So what we, and again, like it was really hard to gain access to capital. So, so pretty quickly we realized if we were going to work with early stage innovators and incubator concept, we needed to resource them with um, capital and we needed a really patient timeline because we were going through the startup journey ourselves and realized, you know, this takes, man, this is really hard, man, there's a lot of factors. And it really takes, you know, five to 10 years to really see something start to gain meaningful traction at scale. Um, I think it's a misnomer here in the startup space, these like unicorns that blow up in like one, two years. And the reality is, especially in social good sectors, that's just not, that's just not how it goes. So, so we realized, okay, if we stay with this model, we're going to have to Double down and just, you know, tell our investors um, and funders in the space, like we're looking at a five to ten year time horizon. Can you swallow that? And then by the way, can you resource us with several million dollars? And uh, and, and there's no proof of concept yet because we're an emergent space. And um, most people understandably were like, No, <laughs> we'll pass, we'll see. Uh, or you know, keep us looped in, we'll see what happens. So we realized, okay, this is kind of untenable. What are we seeing as patterns in the the landscape though? We realized like there was a small group of ed tech companies that were making traction. They were able to get resources on their own but they're really having a hard time achieving scale and and, um, achieving demonstrable effect on student outcomes. They were like, hey, we've created this exciting technology. Teachers are adopting it. We don't really know if it's impacting kids. So we thought, hey, there's kind of a wedge there that we could move into and say, what if there's? A, what are we really actually good at? We were really actually really good at building relationships with school districts. We were really good at bringing those insights into product development, which is actually what we cared most about, are these tools created to really impact real classrooms. And so we thought, can we double down on that? The cool thing about that was, that was um, things we were already good at and the things that didn't require a ton of capital. And so we moved in that direction and that kind of evolved to where we are now, which is kind of a research and development lab, which takes existing ed tech products, put them in schools where we have relationships and then we measure and help them, um, measure their impact and help them improve.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you talk about the ed space and trying to get uh, you know a new innovation, new technology to scale, I mean, anybody who reads and follows like the lean MVP, or you know, the lean startup methodologies and stuff like that. And then you go look at the public school system, and it's like, wow, this is I don't know how much of this I can apply to this. Like, how do you get access? How do you prove effectiveness? All that type of thing. It's a huge obstacle that they're gonna bump into. And you know, you guys have found that you can help solve for that. So it, it makes a ton of sense that there's someone in your space uh, doing that, that type of thing. What are the what are the conversations that you're hear from ed techs whenever you maybe meet them for the first time like what what's that conversation like
1: I mean typically uh they're they're excited in the sense that what they it, what's challenging is just to get into a bureaucratic sector so to get really meaningful kind of unbiased feedback from teachers students in a real environment is just really hard to do because schools especially after the last 18 months they're overwhelmed they're very bureaucratic there's lots of red tape they're risk averse um, so it's really hard oftentimes to get a school to adopt a new solution and uh, so we can kind of really help navigate that red tape with warm relationships and give them a chance I think that's the big thing they're always looking for just access like can you help us open this door and um, help us prove you know prove our value and, and our hope is to, to do that
0: yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think you, this, you're this in what? You're six now? Is that where we're at? Eight.
1: eight.
0: You're eight. Okay. Okay. My math is off. So you're in year eight. <laughs> and then you're going into you you the world has a pandemic. And I would imagine that your world changed, right? Like e-learning became a national narrative. And a lot of people got to experience it firsthand. Like how did that How did that change your thinking on what you're doing or maybe confirm what you were already doing like how did that how did that change your world
1: yeah i mean i think like i said we were kind of first movers in this space so for a long time for most of the time until the pandemic really we were kind of a niche under the radar thing in terms of we were pretty hyper specialized in what we did um that's still the case and like most people, like the mainstream didn't always understand it in like a palpable way. And then I think, I mean, I still remember it. We were in office on March thirteen. We got the notice that school public schools were extending spring break for a week until for them to figure quite frankly, there was no plan. They sent the kids home with packets of homework and paper packets of homework and a little extra food. And then behind the scenes, every administrator we were talking to was scrambling. Like, we just don't, we don't even know. Like, we don't know how long this is gonna last. We don't know what this is. We don't know how long our kids are gonna be out of school, Um, et cetera. So we we just started talking, like uh, started being kind of an open resource hub where we were literally on the phone with school administrators every single day Every single day we started with like a group phone call with all the um, school administrators that we partnered with. So about 20, 30 school systems for about six weeks. And just to learn how um, like the pandemic was shaping school environment, because literally overnight they had to move schools remotely. So for us, I think that advantage was having a really keen insight and to just exactly, literally, how this looked like, what this rollout looked like to going to all remote learning, um, and then what value we could provide, which which has which changed over time. At first, it was being a sounding board, helping get basic resources, making sure kids had access to internet and computers. Then it turned into okay. I think once re- people realize this is going to be happening for a while, how do we really vet and understand if. Um, virtual learning is uh, really working for our kids. How do we assess that? How do we pick the best tools? How do we implement them well? Kind of that second order of questions of, I guess this is real. How do we make the most of this and, and do what's right for students?
0: Yeah. Have the, Has there been a moment um, over the past 18 months, give or take, where you're able to see the impact that your team is, is is starting to have and you're like oh yeah this is why this is why we're doing this this is starting to this is starting to take.
1: I mean in waves I won't lie I think like every every everybody else the last 20 months has been exceptionally hard and all sorts of new and unexpected ways but I mean I think some milestones like so when we assessed the digital divide that was the first project we took on in the pandemic um, we had about third we assessed about, of students didn't have internet access at home. About 11% didn't have computers. Um, And we were able to help influence about $4 million of philanthropic giving and reassess that so that we know about 99% of students have access to at least, now that we assessed, have have access to at least um, a hotspot and about 100% have access to computers. So that was one big one that we were able to say, okay, at least we know... Because um, that was a big barrier, prior, honestly, if you think about that, that meant only, you know, about a quarter of our kids didn't even have access to basic technology, let alone access to learning opportunities through that. So that was kind of milestone one. And then milestone two was, okay, so what? Now they have technology. What are they doing with it? How are they learning? Um, we were able to accomplish several pilots around social emotional learning and uh, math tools to kind of figure out you know, how are they doing? Are they okay? And I think that's kind of informing our next iteration of, we know now that kids are going back to school with big feelings, but we have, you know, and have endured a lot, but we have tools to kind of monitor that. And now I think the next phase of our work will be, what are the really powerful interventions or innovations we can deploy that really kind of help students navigate this new
0: world yeah so. it it probably it probably didn't feel like uh big moments of success it probably felt like oh my god, this problem just got way bigger and much more immediate right but i i would i would guess yeah. that the willingness for people to work with you and seek your counsel probably also grew right
1: yeah, I think all of a sudden, the thing that the pandemic did for us was like, people all of a sudden, to your point, like knew what we did, it became very, very visceral. And it was from like, all what was, I think, interesting about it, it was like, all. No, there was nobody that was not impacted by this, all strata of socioeconomic background, like everyone, you know, from our top funders had kids in the background and were struggling with the same pain point of, I don't know how to log in to Google classroom. (laughs) I can't find my kid's assignment. I don't know if this app is actually teaching them anything, (laughs) you know, like everyone kind of had that universal experience of, I think I'm trying to do the best thing for my kid, but I really have no idea if this is working or not. And so I think that really helped craft like a shared a shared understanding of like both um, the challenges, but also I think also the potential. And I think also thinking, okay, there are some positive things about this. There are ability for kids to work at their own pace, their ability for kids to have access to new content areas maybe they didn't explore. And then there are some real deficits, like like I, when is my kid gonna be socializing with other kids? And like, how do we start thinking about this in a more holistic
0: way? Yeah. you. Uh, happen to have some big-time supporters behind Lean Lab. You have some 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 big-time groups who fund uh, and help fund your organization, right? Beyond the fact that you're also moving towards a self-sustainable model, but why do you think some of those organizations what what is it What is it that they see in Lean Lab where they you know put their name and their and their dollars behind you guys? what What's those What are those conversations like? What do they see in Lean Lab that they they're supporting?
1: we've always been an unusual thing and we've always been kind of the underdogs. So the fact that we're kind of in the Midwest and we have those relationships with schools, I think one thing that people see us as, is we kind of have a unfiltered um, understanding of what's really happening in schools. Uh, you know, like I said, early in the pandemic, when we were on calls with all school leaders or from across the region, we really had kind of a clear understanding of like viscerally how hard this was. And I think that kind of and we have a lot of trust with our school leaders, so I think you know we're kind of known as a place to go and just ask, like, what's going on, what's what's happening right now, um, what do what do folks need, um, how do we make this better, what's really hard. So I think we have those kind of insights, but we have that kind of relational trust in schools, which is which is historically really hard to build um, because they're so bureaucratic and 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 uh, siloed. Um, and then I would say, I think the other thing I hear is that I think one thing that worked to our advantage is that, you know, we were from the Midwest, we were young, we never, we couldn't pretend, we couldn't posture, like we were bigger or um, more learned, for lack of a better word, than we were. <laughs> we kind of just had to lean into this is what we are. Like um, we didn't roll out of or uh, all of our competitors are attached to Ivy League institutions mm. or Stanford or... Um, or really large funders, and that just wasn't our story. So I think one thing we hear from funders that's refreshing is that, like, we really are a learning organization. We continue to change our, we always modify our framework. We're true to our values. We always believe in, like, the power of community, classroom community voice, um, and yeah, that's and we're always changing or um, refining how we approach things.
0: So I was listening to an interview with Bill Gates and he's talking about his philanthropy and you know he's he's involved in trying to educate himself on all of these different topics right like malaria is one of them and there's just many many more that he's looking at and someone in the audience asked him about you know what was really tough and <laughs> public education was one of them he's he he sounded truly stumped on on like how to advance education in the United States. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's why his foundation is supporting LELAB. They see you guys on the front lines of this and trying to figure out something that he frankly doesn't sound like he has a beat on. He doesn't He doesn't sound like, whereas other things he's studied so much and he thinks he sees an opportunity. It sounds like he's almost baffled by this thing. And he's, I would assume impressed when he meets organizations like yours who are not afraid to, to, you know, take a, a stab at how do we advance this? So, um, yeah. I'm sure you might have a much more nuanced view of that, but it, it clicked for me when I heard him say that.
1: Yeah, no, that's I mean that's refreshing to hear, but yeah, I mean it's really hard. I mean I think you're dealing with a really entrenched um, bureaucracy that uniquely touches like the live the most vulnerable lives we have, like young people, and so it's a really interesting. Uh, Field to work in.
0: What do you miss uh, from being in the in the actual schools?
1: A lot. I think number one is like the relationships with kids. Um, When you see that light bulb moment when they get something and they're excited about a concept, there's still no other like professional high. I think I felt that's like higher than than that. (laughs) You know, when you see a whole group of kids or kids like get turned on to a concept or a new thing, and and you see them grow. That really is pretty magical. Um, Yeah, so I I missed that piece. uh, Absolutely. And like the joke that we always have, I don't know if a joke is kind of serious too. It's like the goal of Lean Lab was like, how do we make teaching and education more sustainable so that we can go back to that? Um, Because it is really, it's a really hard profession.
0: What, What are some of the things in education that you would say that technology Will probably never replace, or maybe they can just make that easier. Are there things that you think are just, you know, fundamentally like this is the best it can get, and technology may not replace it, but maybe they can augment that? Are
1: there the human connection piece? I mean, I think there are some people that are concerned about ed tech automating. Well, I think in general, technology automating all of us out of work in every sector. Um, but I think in education, particularly, um, like you just can't replace the human connection and the relationship between a student and a teacher that kind of mentor support relationship I don't think should uh, ever disappear. Um, that said, I think how do we teachers do so much and what we're really interested in Lean Lab is like how do we free them up with the potential of technology so they can focus on that human connection because we we ask so much of our educators and I, a lot of it is outside the scope of, of focusing on, you know, what students need and how to foster relationships with them.
0: Do you uh, get into the prediction game of, you know, what you know, education might look like for a teacher in 25 years or for, let's say, a middle schooler in 25 years? Do you have any projections that you don't mind uh, sharing with people?
1: I mean, I don't think I'm very good at, I think the last 20 months have taught me that I, you never know what's coming, but uh, but a lots happened that I never thought would happen. But um, that being said, I know what I would like to have happen. I would feel like I, knowing what we know now, I would, in 20 to 25 years, um, hopefully sooner than that, I do hope we can get to a place where teaching is sustainable, where we treat our educators like professionals, where we bring the intelligence of technology and the advancement of research and development and technology and learning science that we've seen in other fields into our classrooms. Um, I think that's so that kids are benefiting from really robust relationships with adults that are and adults that are well rested, well resourced, well supported with tools that make their lives easier. I think that's the goal. If We can walk into schools a decade from now or two decades from now where you just feel that palpable connection and that love of learning, like that's that's always the goal. Um, so I think the question is with all of the setbacks and challenges we've seen in the sector these last 20 months, you know, how do we take the good from the bad and kind of reconceive what how we do this so that we can
0: actualize that. Well said. Katie, thanks for joining us today.